0: This is Welcome back to TanakhCast. This is episode 172. We'll continue in the Psalms with a brief summary of chapters 75 through 78, and follow with some thoughts about bottling wine in massive quantities. In many Psalms, the poet turns to God, praising, poking, and petitioning. But finally, in Psalm 75, God ostensibly replies, Quote, when I seize the appointed time, I myself shall judge rightly. Earth and its dwellers would melt had I not set fast its pillars, Selah. I said to the revelers, do not revel, and to the wicked, lift not your horn. And when this time comes, there will be. A new world order, a world where the rule of law, not the law of the jungle, governs the conduct of nations. And the poet will be there to, quote, tell it forever. Let me hymn to the God of Jacob. Psalm 76 continues on this triumphant tone with God residing in Jerusalem and prevailing over all enemies. Quote, there did he shatter the bow's fiery shafts, the shield and the sword and the battle, Selah. Refulgent you were, mightier than the mountains of prey. The purpose of this battle, however, is not regime change or to grab oil reserves, but for judgment of the wicked and, quote, to rescue all the lowly of the earth, Sela. To this, humans will respond with devotion, quote, make vows and fulfill them to the Lord your God. All round him bring tribute to the fearsome one. Psalm 77 takes a dramatic turn. It is night. All are asleep, except for the poet who lays in his bed weeping unconsolably. He recalls, quote, "...the days of yore, the years long gone." And not only from his own life, but from the history of his people, it's truly a dark night of the soul, and it begs the provocative question, quote, "...will the master forever abandon me and never again look with favor? Because God did step up in the past to subdue nature when the Jews reached the shore of the Reed Sea, quote, In the sea was your way, and your path in the mighty waters, and your footsteps left no traces. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. Behold! Psalm 78 is a poem passed on from father to son. Its purpose is to educate and enlighten. Quote, let me voice the verses of old that we have heard and we have known and that our fathers recounted to us. We shall not conceal from their sons to the last generation recounting the praise of the Lord and his might and his wonders that he did. Because it seems at some point that chain was broken and quote, so that the last generation might know sons yet to be born might arise and recount to their sons and place their trust in God and forget not the acts of God and observe his commands. that they not be like their fathers, a wayward, rebellious generation, a generation that was not firm of heart and its spirit, not faithful to God. Who is the poet referring to? The Northern Kingdom, of course the tribe of Ephraim that broke with Shlomo's son Rechavam and got a bad rap ever since in the Tanakh. The poet's lesson here is a salient one. From the Exodus through to the conquest of Canaan, God led, performing miracles for the people, the pillars of fire and smoke to guide and protect, the parting of the sea to effect an escape, water, manna, and quail to sustain the people, as well as purges of the unfaithful when they sinned. And even after all that, the people still sinned, forgetting themselves and the covenant. And that forgetting continued through to the kingdom of Israel. Quote, yet he rejected the tent of Joseph and the tribe of Ephraim he did not choose. Not you, not you, and not you. Not you, 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 you, and not you. Me? Not you. me? Not you. Me Not you. Not you. Not you. Not you. Not you. Me. Not you. Me. Not you. I'm Gordon Bombay. And not you. Hey you. Not you. Hey who? Not you. Who me? Who? huh who? And not you. Me? Not you. Not you. If it's anybody, it's me. Not you. And not you. You talking to me? Not you. You talking to me? Not you. Then who the hell else are you talking? Talking to me? Not you. Okay. Instead, God chose, quote, the tribe of Judah, Mount Zion, that he loves, and he built on the heights his sanctuary, like the earth he had founded forever. And he chose David his servant, and took him from the sheepfolds, from the nursing ewes he brought him to shepherd Jacob his people, and Israel his estate. And on that boosterist, monarchist note, here end the lesson. Psalm 75 echoes the vision of the cup in Jeremiah 25 when God tells the prophet Yermiyahu, quote, take from my hand this cup of wine of wrath and make all the nations to whom I send you drink of it. In this psalm, the judged are not nations, but individuals, righteous individuals and wicked individuals with the same wine cup metaphor. Quote, there is a cup in the hand of the Lord with foaming wine full for decanting He will pour from it. Yes, its dregs they will drain. All the earth's wicked will drink. However, at the same time, the poet gives us a super quick tour of the world of wine drinking, describing the best and worst that world has to offer. Foaming or bubbling red wine is considered the best. It's not champagne. That's an alcoholic drink produced from specific types of grapes grown in the Champagne region of France, following rules that demand, among other things, specific vineyard practices, sourcing of grapes exclusively from designated places within the Champagne region, specific grape pressing methods, and Secondary fermentation of the wine in the bottle to cause carbonation. Dregs consist of deposits of dead yeast or residual yeast and other particles that precipitate to the bottom of a vat of wine after fermentation and aging. They do not taste good. What's interesting here is God's move vis a vis the wicked. Does God pour out the wine for the righteous first and leave the dregs for the wicked, or does God just? pour the wine on the ground right in front of the wicked, a total power move, leaving only the dregs for the wicked to consume. Damn! Either way, the wicked are going to have a mouth full of unpleasantness. What's not mentioned here by the poet is the container from which this wine is poured. In other words, what kind of bottle is God using to reward the righteous and punish the wicked? Because what I learned is that wine bottles have names, and many of them are named after biblical kings. So here's the rundown from smallest to biggest. The volumes are in multiples relating to the standard bottle of wine, which is 0.75 liters or six 125 milliliter servings. The smallest is the piccolo or split at 0.1875 liters. That's a typical single serving of champagne. And then you have the quarter at 0.2 liters. The Chopin at 0.25. The 0.375 is the demi, which holds one half the standard size. The 0.378 is the tenth because it's a tenth of a US gallon. The 0.5 is used for sweet wines. The 0.75 is the standard common bottle size. The 1.5 liter bottle is a magnum or double bottle. Now it gets big fast. The three liter is the double magnum. The 4.5 liter is the Jeroboam, that's six standard bottles of wine. If you're drinking sparkling wine, the Jeroboam is only three liters. The six liter bottle is the Methuselah, that's eight bottles of wine in one. The nine liter bottle is Salmanatzar, that's 12 bottles in one. The 12 liter bottle is the Balthazar, that's 16 bottles in one. The 15 liter is the Nebuchadnezzar, equivalent to 20 bottles of wine. The 18 liter is the Solomon or Melchior, one of the wise men that brought gifts to the baby Jesus in Bethlehem. Had he brought his namesake bottle to the manger, everyone in attendance could have had a bottle of their own and there would still be wine left over because a Solomon is 24 standard bottles of wine. The 26.25 liter is the Sovereign, named by Tattinger in 1988 for the launch of the Sovereign of the Seas, the largest cruise ship at that time. The 27 liter is the Goliath. And finally, the Melchizedek. The Melchizedek is a whopping 30 liters. That's 40 bottles of wine in one. If you're keen, you can order a Melchizedek of Armand de Brignac Brut Gold in a branded box for 50 pounds shy of 44,000 from drinkdirect.co.uk. At World Wine Whiskey, I found the same bottle for 37,000 euros and change but you'll get it in one day, but that's only in continental Europe. Alas, they don't ship to Canada, and the LCBO only stocks a Methuselah of Louis Rotorer Cristal Champagne 2004 at the low, low price of $11,500 Canadian. According to Philologos, otherwise known as the translator and literary critic Hillel Halkin, a look at the Oxford English Dictionary, whose volume on the letters I through K dates to 1899 to 1901, introduces a jeroboam as a large bowl or goblet or a very large bottle of wine. The OED traces the word's earliest known written appearance to an 1806 work by Sir Walter Scott that speaks of making, quote, a brandy jeroboam on a frosty morning. This does not seem to please Philologos, but he is undaunted. There's more to uncover here, more questions. If you had to pick a biblical figure who's all about size, strength, or courage, why not a Samson? It's not a tumor. It's not a tumor at all. And then a moment of serendipity. A breeze blows through Philologos' window in his study. And before he can stop it, the OED has flipped several pages to the word Joram. A Joram is, quote, a large drinking bowl or vessel, also the contents of this, especially a punch bowl. Its earliest appearance in print was in 1730, and although its origin was given as uncertain, the OED added that, quote, it has been conjectured to be the same as the name of Joram, who brought with him vessels of silver and vessels of gold and vessels of brass. Second Samuel 8, verse 10, CF, or carried forward, Jeroboam. In other words, the name Joram or Yoram in the the biblical figure also refers to a large vessel and carries forward to Jeroboam. Philologos posits that Joram and its possible corruption, Jeroboam, began to denote not only a very large bowl, but also a very large bottle, and eventually a bottle of three liters. Once a three-liter bottle was called a Jeroboam, inspiration like wine began to flow and other sized bottles earned even more obscure biblical names like Nebuchadnezzar, Shalmanazar, and Melchizedek, which shines an interesting light on Avram's interaction with the ancient king of Jerusalem in Genesis 14. Fresh off his victory alongside the four kings against the five kings, Avram is laden with booty when Melchizedek greets and blesses him with bread and wine. After the pleasantries, Avram presents Melchizedek with a tenth of his take, a massive haul, which, considering how much a Melchizedek costs these days, was probably a good price for what one hopes was a massive bottle of wine. If you like what you heard today, spread the word about Tanakhcast, Tell a friend about TanakhCast over coffee. Send another friend an email or text. Nothing fancy. Help your aunt who just got her first smartphone to download a podcatcher and subscribe to TanakhCast. And if you have a spare moment after all that, write a brief glowing review at Apple Podcasts. Apparently, it helps people who might be interested in a little Bible learning five this podcast. And it's also a nice thing to do. If you want to help in an even bigger way, support us at Patreon. Just search for TanakhCast at Patreon.com and pledge your shekels either on a one-time or monthly basis and receive special blessings from the Most High. I thank you in advance for that and encourage you to join us again in two weeks for Episode 173 when we continue in Psalms with chapters 79 through 82.